Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? I'm feeling presidential. Are you, you personally are feeling presidential? I mean, all the RNC, DNC stuff the last week has got me feeling like, woo, all right, yay. Yeah. It's like the finally kicked off because the summer has been so slow with like political events. We got right. this big election coming in November. That because because of COVID, there weren't any rallies, there weren't any big things, there weren't wasn't all the crisscrossing the nation, you know, flyover right. states, all that stuff, you know. Right. And and now it feels like it's game time. So you got to see something. Yeah, I have to, to tell you. I have to weeks. tell you, it's been I But it was different. It was weird. Yeah, I have I miss I miss the old way i mean i know why they couldn't do it the way that they've done it but i miss the the arena and the balloons and all the people and and i am one as you know that i watch both every year yeah and i i always experience election year in two ways one is as a voter who is listening who has certain views that i'm you know that i hold to and i'm looking for things like that but then I also experience it just as someone who is a student and, and lover of history and politics, and I just like the process. And yeah. so that requires no political party to enjoy. You can enjoy it on every side. And, and, and let's so, be honest. Who yeah. doesn't love a good balloon drop? Right. Exactly. I mean, we didn't get that this year. I know. So how do we talk Bill Towns into letting us do a balloon drop at the SBC annual meeting? Um, we've brought that up, right? Didn't we bring that up? I think we brought it up before. We got to yeah. run that. Well, he's not going to be here next year. So why right. don't we just like go ahead and just take the bull by the horns there? Since this transition is happening, whoever the new guy is, we'll just tell him, oh, we cleared this with Bill beforehand. We, we, uh-huh. we fixed this back in the fall before you got here. We'll just, okay. we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And we'll just do it. So if Bill is listening right now, then he's going to, he's going to. I mean, Bill ru- loves a good balloon drop too, right? He's going mean, to ruin that for doesn't? us. He's gonna he's gonna say, Don't listen to them. Yeah. There's been no balloon drop cleared. So. Well, hey, you know what? We do need to have Bill on before he leaves. That's something we need to work on. I would love to do that. Let's do it. Let's do that. We'll we'll yeah. make that happen. So Yes. Uh yeah, Bill's leaving at the end of the year. We covered that a couple weeks ago. Uh announced his retirement and really sad to see him going, but wishing him all the best as he moves on. So we do have some E C news later in the show. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we start at Lifeway where they had a trustee meeting this week, passed a new budget quite different than the past because of COVID-19. Yeah, this is something that we've obviously been seeing. And uh, so they they announced that they really project missing the budgeted revenue for this 2019-2020 fiscal year by $61 million. And that will be a net loss of $21.7 million. So that's a really tough hit. That's because of declining sales, which we've talked about that, knowing that Uh, As churches weren't meeting, they didn't need curriculum. And then loss of revenue on summer camps, canceling, women's events, things like that. That just changed everything. So as a result, they should have done more weeks at Ridgecrest, Amy. You should have. You could have single-handedly changed this. I I don't know about that. (laughs) If you could have done $21.7 million worth of camping this year, it would have... It would have turned everything. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, so they are doing what they're calling a bridge year. 
uh, so that's fiscal year 21, um, includes a net loss of $8.6 million. Joe Walker, who is the CFO at Lifeway, uh, said they're going to really monitor everything closely. It's going to be a bridge year to fiscal year 2022. Um, but there also were some big announcements in the meeting. Can you share yes. share those things? All right. So first of all, we have a new chief information technology officer has been officially elected. Jamie Adams has been on the job since earlier this year. She comes to LifeWay from MSpark in Birmingham, which is a national direct mail and advertising company. So uh, she's new. She's been here since the spring. They just haven't had a trustee meeting to be able to elect her officially. So they did that and took care of that in the meeting. And they also uh, gave an update on buyers for the Ridgecrest Conference Center, as well as the possible sale of the corporate office. They say they have three different potential buyers for the Camp and Conference Center. They got three finalists. I'm not one of them, Amy. I'm sorry. It's not going to be me. Uh, But they do have three finalists to purchase Ridgecrest. So we might see some news about that later this fall. So that's entirely possible. And then also uh, they, they mentioned the corporate office and they said that, you know, we're not quite ready to sell that just yet. We're still trying to figure out what to do, figure out what we need moving forward. So they're still in the feasibility studies of what needs to happen next. And also just to what the work from home is going to look like after COVID-19, right. just the changes in the culture. They That post-COVID-19 world, they're trying to figure out what that's going to be before they make a decision on the building, which I think is wise. Right. It's amazing how just processing this, how quickly things have changed, um, because this feasibility study about the building, it feels very deja vu. Oh man, does me. it ever. Because, I, I mean, we were around during the that with the other building. Yeah. To go ahead and move to this one. And now this has moved so fast. And so much of that, I mean, this was a downsizing, but then so much of that was connected to the changes in remote work anyway. Yeah. But that, now. That's the big driver here is the right. remote work culture. That That right. is what is driving it. Because. Whenever you have a building that's 60% occupancy because of some remote work and then you go into a fully remote work environment, you're yeah. never going to get back over that 60% hump. You're going to be at you know, 30, 40, 50% capacity and it doesn't make sense to have a building running at 30 to 40% capacity. So we'll see what they wind up doing on that. Uh, there's a lot of options on the table and uh, we'll wait for news from Lifeway. So that's our big news this week. Also, some big news over at Liberty. We talked about it the last couple of weeks. Jerry Falwell is out as president of Liberty University. I don't even know where to start with this. This story has been a complete roller coaster that started over the weekend, right? Am I am I remembering that correctly? Well, I mean, it's been a few weeks. It started back at the 1st of August, remember, with the, right. the picture that showed right. up with on the... Instagram. And then Sunday night yeah. late... There was a statement that Falwell released to the Washington Examiner. Yes, that that just kind of started going. started this domino uh, of events. I don't know that they were all. I mean, I think they were all kind of going to drop, probably. But there was a story, a statement released by Falwell to the Washington Examiner. There were other stories that came out. Yeah, um, one in Reuters, and, one in Politico. Yeah, that were from people making allegations against both. Jerry and Becky Falwell. Um, so there was this kind of dramatic situation. And then the board in the process really had to sort of 
take take action. And so it had been up in the air about this leave of absence. What's going to happen after? Well, this week settled that. And one well, thing that we thought it settled it. That was the weird thing, though, because right. on Monday, we one thing you, we didn't talk Monday, we were hearing that he had resigned. Right. And the even statements from university spokespeople and other trustees, we were hearing he has resigned. And then he releases a statement Monday night through the Virginia Business Magazine and says, no, I haven't. So we all go to sleep and I wake up in the middle of the night and I look on my phone and there's a note from ABC News saying that he had confirmed he had resigned that night. And so right. it was just like, it's, what is it going on It seems like here? he was, yeah, it was sort of back and forth and he's talking to different reporters and his attorneys. The official resignation had not been drafted yet, but then... By the next day, it it was settled. He had had resigned. They had accepted it. This was unanimous among the board. Um, the executive board, I think, had done some on behalf of the full board, but then the full board came and uh, supported their actions. So, at this stage, Jerry Falwell Jr. is no longer president of Liberty University. The acting president, Jerry Prevo who was already doing that in the leave of absence. He is still the acting president. Alan McFarland still the acting chairman of the board. And now we just wait and see what comes next in terms of permanent president. I learned something this week, though. Okay. And I learned learn? it looking at I hope, Twitter. I hope we learn something every week, by the way. I right, just want to say. Right. But I saw an interaction on Twitter between Kate Shelnut and Bob Smetana, where Kate Shelnut noticed in the announcement, I think, from the board that said uh, he was the fourth president of Liberty University. Yes. I was going to ask yeah. you about that. I was actually yeah. Googling that right now. Right. By the so way. if you go look, because she put something on Twitter, she said, all right, help me out, religion reporters. What am I missing? How did I not know this? And Bob Smetana replied and said, actually, I was asking, basically, I, I didn't was asking the same question, and I found this, and there was a... A CT story from 1990, I think. Okay. That talked about there were two other presidents before Jerry Falwell. So I guess he founded it, but wasn't... Yeah, he and Elmer Towns were the two yeah. co-founders, right? Right. But there were two other presidents. So who were the other presidents, Amy? All right. So the other two were the founding president, A. Pierre Guillermin. That's how it, it's... Yeah. Anyway... Uh, he was the founding president. He announced his immediate retirement on June 19th, 1997. And he had been the president since the school had opened in 1971. And Jerry Falwell was the chancellor. Okay. So then they named John Boric the interim president and at the and then a, the position of CEO. And so I guess after John Boric, Jerry Falwell became the president in addition. So he so he had founded the school. He was the chancellor of the school. Because he was he still the pastor at Thomas Road. Right. And that was his main gig. Right. But I didn't know this. I like So he had Pierre running that, the Pierre was running the academic side. Yeah. I don't know that I even knew about Liberty University until I was at Southern Seminary, maybe. So, you know, it's so I, I guess I never knew about it outside of Jerry Falwell being the president. Huh. Really fascinating. Well, so anyway. Well, Wikipedia is wrong then because they've got him as the second president 
and that Jerry Falwell Sr. was the first president of the school. Yeah, well, he wasn't. He was a chancellor. So it's very interesting. We should dig into that a little bit more. Um, but that was what I learned this week. Okay, well, I'm yeah. glad you learned something this week. All right, well, so now we look to Liberty and the question is like, what's next? And we honestly don't know. So right. we await a board meeting and the next steps. Uh, Jerry Prevo has been tasked by the board to kind of restore the spiritual integrity of the school. So they have uh, focusing on that right now. They just started classes on Monday when all of this kind of blew up. So a tumultuous week this week over on the mountain in Lynchburg, and uh, we'll be praying for them and everybody involved in that. There's just a lot going on. We're, we're friends with a lot of those trustees, and I know they're, they've had a, a lot of work this week. We'll keep you updated as things change over at Liberty. Some news we mentioned at the top of the show, we kind of alluded to it from the executive committee. We've got a new coworker, Amy, Charles Grant. He's joining us as the executive director of African-American Relations and Mobilization. Yes, we're very excited about this at the office because this position has been open with a search for a while. Yeah. And so we knew COVID-19 that it was kind of got in the way over that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That because we had, I think, I think it had been announced that it was coming, but then COVID-19 happened and just all sorts of things sort of slowed down in that process. And so it's exciting to be at this stage where we can make this announcement. So just like the executive director of Hispanic Relations and Mobilization and Asian American Relations and Mobilization, this is a partnership jointly funded by the EC and the North American Mission Board. Uh, And so Charles Grant is going to work to equip and mobilize African American churches and engage potential new churches. Charles will join Julio Adiola, who is the executive director of Hispanic Relations and Mobilization, and Peter Giannis, who's the executive director of Asian American Relations and Mobilization, to focus on diversity and mobilization in the SBC. So this is a jointly funded partnership with the EC and the North American Mission Board. And uh, we are excited to have Charles on. Can't wait to see him in the office. He, I think, starts Monday, Amy. So we'll see him on leadership team meeting on Monday. You can meet him via Zoom. That's right. And then next time here. I'm in the building, hopefully he'll be there the same same time. He won't be out on the road or something like that. So I look forward to meeting him in person. Absolutely. Amy, something we talked about last week on the podcast, the National African American Fellowship was hosting a virtual town hall this week to highlight diverse perspectives around the SBC. Yes. Yeah, so we have a story about that that uh, Diana Chandler wrote and gives kind of an overview of it, but also the link is there that even though that was scheduled for Tuesday afternoon when it dropped, you can watch it right now. So speakers were Jason Lumpkin from Woodstock Church in Austell, Georgia, Fred Luter, Connor Nelson, uh, Fred Luter, who's a former SBC president um, and pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church in New Orleans, Connor Nelson, who's senior vice president of human resources for Lifeway, Trey Newbell, director of community outreach for the ERLC, and Kevin Smith, Executive Director of the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, and Marshall Osbury, the first Vice President of the SBC, and also is the President of the NAAF. He was the host of that conversation, and I watched it. I thought it was really, really good, insightful. Um, I may go back and watch it again just to sort of take in some of the things that they said uh, maybe a little deeper, but 
this is is very worthwhile. And uh, so you can check out the story and go watch it yourself. Yeah, I highly encourage folks to check that out. That's a, a, a was a fantastic town hall on Tuesday. So uh, really, I, I learned a lot just hearing those perspectives and seeing diverse perspectives. It's it's really helpful for us to learn from others around the SBC in that. Some news from Texas, Amy. They have reorganized the SBTC executive board. Got a new structure over there. And buried down in here, want to give a shout out, Gary Ledbetter, longtime Baptist media man. Uh, Gary Ledbetter is the editor at The Texan, and he announced his retirement effective the end of the year. He's going to stay on and help edit next year. It's kind of a contract way, you know, in 2021 as a contractor. But right. he's, uh, he's retired. So just want to congratulate Gary on his uh, years and years. Of service to yeah, Gary and, and, and Tammy have been real figures in the SBC, uh, particularly in SBC journalism for years and uh, decades, long time. So Yeah. So they are proposing a budget of $26.1 million, which is about $2.7 million than this previous year because of the drop in CP giving across the state due to COVID-19. So uh, just a, a moderate drop there. Uh, but they are also um, approved 19 churches for affiliation. So 19 new churches in the SBTC removed 94 churches from their membership roles that have disbanded, merged, disaffiliated uh, with the state. So uh, that brings the total churches in the SBTC to 2,669. That's a lot of churches. Wow. Yeah. And as you said, that removing the 94 churches, um, they they explain that only seven of those 94 were churches that were disaffiliating. So that would mean that in some of them, you know, churches had merged or had disbanded. And so they basically were cleaning up the roles yeah. in some yeah. in some sense. It's like if so. you're taking people who've died off your church membership role. Yeah. So some of it was just really getting the sort of the bookkeeping in order. And so seven of those churches had disaffiliated, but 19 churches were affiliating uh, for the first time. All right, and then finally, uh, in this uh, one final note, they mentioned that they have not canceled or changed the date of the November 9th and 10th annual meeting scheduled to be at Hyde Park Baptist in Austin, but they have means of doing so if that is necessary. So they're just waiting. It's still kind of in a wait-and-see mode. There's about two months, two and a half months or whatever from now until then. So they got a little bit of time there to make that final decision. So uh, we'll keep an eye out. We've been watching a lot of states and there's been a lot of news from the states, Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee this week. So we should have a, a story, I think, next week in Baptist Press outlining what all's going on with state convention meetings in yes. the fall. Staying in Texas, Amy, Southwestern Seminary launched their Women's Leadership Institute this week. I loved this announcement. It's really fun to see this popping up. We had the one from New Orleans a little while yep. back of some of their changes. So this is a new thing at Southwestern, um, a variety of certificate programs for women serving in any ministry, leadership, or life context. And they have a way for people to partner with the program. Illinois Baptists are already doing that. And so it can be for student wife, minister's wife, or for those who are, you know, I guess in ministry. There are three certificate programs for uh, the minister's wife or student wife, and one of those will meet spouse requirements for service with the IMB. So that's always uh, incredibly important. But it's really neat because it this is focusing on leadership development. 
I just love that idea. So it gives opportunities for women serving the church, but they can't, as Terry Stovall explained, maybe they're not in a season where they can enroll in a full degree, but this is a a way for them to have a focused course of study to prepare. Um, So they're available in a six-week format. They are offered in residential and online settings. So it's really great certificate of ministry studies, advanced certificate of ministry studies, then also um, leadership certificate in women's ministry, certificate in women's studies. And uh, so it's just a really, really exciting thing that they have uh, in some sense, I think maybe overhauled some of their certificate programs um, for this type of development uh, for the women who are out there serving the churches today. Absolutely. And other women's news in the SBC, the WMU Foundation has granted the WMU a $45,000 grant in effort to help offset the loss incurred due to the COVID-19 global pandemic. So we've talked about this in the past. WMU uh, forced to Uh, offer voluntary retirements to staff as well as cutting their budgets and everything this year uh, because of, you know, they're kind of the same boat as Lifeway. People are ordering fewer products and revenues are dropping. So uh, trying to help offset that over at WMU. And then some sad news up at Southwestern, Tony Maloof, the senior professor of world Christianity and Middle Eastern studies uh, passed away after an extended illness this week at age 65. Yeah, I had heard, you know, that he had been sick, and so I knew that things, I think, were not looking good, but this was very sad news to hear, especially after they lost uh, Brent Ray down there, Um, so this is a tough time for the faculty. We had a season, um, we had a season at Southeastern, and I actually can remember a season at Southern, I think, where there were just some back-to-back losses in faculty or fa- or members of faculty family. And that's just tough when that hits all at once. It's a lot of a lot of grief. So um, we definitely are praying for our friends in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Tony Maloof was uh, born in Damascus, Syria. Uh, he was the son of a Greek Orthodox father and a Catholic mother. He grew up in Lebanon and was proficient in six languages. Arabic, French, English, Hebrew, Greek, and German, which is That's six more than me. impressive. Yes. <laughs> um, he had gone to university in Lebanon and then in France, but then was going to do doctoral work in medical microbiology at the University of Montpellier in France. And during his first year there, he came to faith in Christ. Uh, through the witness of a friend, and uh, just completely changed course, called to full-time ministry, uh, and moved to the U.S. to go to seminary. And so the rest of his life, he served the church. So um, pretty, pretty incredible story, made great contributions all around the world. And just another reminder that he was a lot smarter than any of us. So Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, yes, uh, thoughts and prayers out to our friends at Southwestern and the Maloof family. Also, uh, before we get to this week in SBC history, just want to give a quick update. Warrior Creek Baptist Church, we talked about and had a story in Baptist Press about a month ago. It had a big COVID outbreak in Alabama, down there in Strawberry, Alabama. Had 40 people get it during that revival. They've all recovered. Everybody's okay. Nobody died. So nice little bow on that story down there. And then also want to remember our friends down in Southwest Louisiana dealing with Hurricane Laura and all the aftermath that has left 
been left behind by her moving through southwest Louisiana. Uh, my friends at Trinity Baptist Church, uh, where we used to be at church in Lake Charles when we lived there, uh, I saw a bunch of pictures. Greg Bath, uh, one of the outreach ministers there, he's got his yellow shirt on, Amy. He's waiting on the guys. They're rolling in today uh, yeah. down there and uh, to help with uh, disaster relief. He said uh, the, the church, it's kind of like the big Baptist church down there. Said they had some minor uh, roof damage, light flooding, some broken windows and glass, some uprooted trees, but they are a, a spot for disaster relief. So they are like the the headquarters for disaster relief down there, and our people are rolling in. Send reliefs rolling in. State disaster reliefs are rolling in. So um, be a lot of Southern Baptists on the ground in the cleanup of Hurricane Laura down there in Lake Charles and that whole Southwest Louisiana area. So yeah. do be in prayer for them. If you want to find out more, you can go over to sinrelief.org slash Laura for information on how you can help with that. That's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Well, we're going to look back to 1992 because that was when Hurricane Andrew hit. Oh, I remember that one too. Yeah. Um, so this was a Category 5 hurricane that struck the Bahamas, Florida, and Louisiana. It formed on August 16th, but then moved toward the Bahamas. It then really hit hard right around this week. And so Baptist Press... Well, is this week the week that it hit Florida really bad? Because it I, did a ton of damage down in Homestead. I think this may be the week I'm looking. I'm actually, I'll put the Wikipedia article on it as well. It made landfall in Louisiana on the 26th. So it had already okay, hit Okay, so it was Florida. already in Louisiana. All right, so it hit yeah. Florida like on the 22nd or 23rd, something like that. Yeah, so then it okay. hit. So, so there was an entire Baptist Press issue uh, on August 28th, 92, that was all about like the churches in Miami that got hit, the disaster relief that had gone to Florida and to Louisiana, um, just a whole thing dedicated to Hurricane Andrew. So it's kind of crazy because, you know, this this was really rough watching. And it's so hard when these hurricanes are coming because you never know where they're going to hit. And, of course, for us this year, you know, you of course, your parents, your family is down there. Um, we were hearing from Jamie and Tara Dew and all, the, all of our friends at New Orleans Seminary as they were getting prepared, you know, because you just don't know which direction it's going to go. And to to think about the fact that this was also the week of Hurricane Andrew, so 28 years ago. It's interesting to see how, especially how responsive Baptists were and to remind us that disaster relief has been really, it really is a legacy. Uh, it, it truly is. And so as difficult as Hurricane Laura has been, um, we were also talking about hurricanes 28 years ago this week in SBC history. Yeah, unfortunately, it is the season of yeah. things. So, I mean, we're also sitting on like the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina as well uh, this we weekend. We are. So, and, yeah. you know, and you know why I, what I remember, of course, my memories are very different. I was in Virginia. I wasn't actually getting hit with it. But um, Hurricane Katrina hit, like you said, 15 years ago, right around this week. And Drew has a birthday coming up on Monday. He will be 15 years old. He was born the day the levees broke. 
Oh, wow. And I can remember being in the hospital. And of course, after you have a baby, your your hormones are crashing. Everything makes you like sad or whatever. And I can remember every channel had it on there. And I reached a point where I just couldn't watch anymore because all I was doing was sitting there and crying. I always remember that because that's when Drew came. So, hmm. yeah. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is... Mine is an event that is coming for women and registration opens up this next week. So a lot of state conventions have canceled their women's training events that often will happen in conjunction with annual meetings. And so these are opportunities that women have to, you know, to come together and to learn things, you know, and that's going to it's, it's not going to be available to them. So seven state conventions have come together to develop a virtual event. And so it's going to be on October 29th from 4 to 8 p.m. Central. It's called One Day, One Focus. And uh, so this is North Carolina Baptist, Arizona Southern Baptist Convention, Georgia Baptist Mission Board, Illinois Baptist State Convention, uh, Illinois Baptist State Association, Oklahoma Baptist, South Carolina Baptist Convention, and Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, all coming together to do this one event. So it's going to have an emphasis on discipleship. Susie Hawkins is the keynote speaker. I'm the biggest Susie Hawkins fan in the world, so I'm very excited. I'm going to well, be watching this. OS might top you on that. But Okay, I'm the second biggest Susie Hawkins fan in the world, so I'm going to be watching this for sure. Um, Emily Ryder of Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, will lead worship. There will be three sessions from SBC seminaries that are available for ministry training, as well as lots of breakout sessions everywhere. So uh, uh, the majority of it will be pre-recorded, but they are also going to make speakers available for live chats during the breakout sessions. So while uh, the breakout sessions are being viewed, then the speakers will be available to kind of chat back and forth with those who are attending. There will also be a live exhibit hall. So that's kind of cool too. Um, So this is, it's a live exhibit hall, it says with SBC Seminaries, NAM, and IMB participating. So it's basically an opportunity for, for them to interact with people live about what they're doing. Okay. So lots of things happening during those four hours um, and a number of options for people to participate. So it's October 29th, mark your calendars, but registration opens this this next week, September 1st. It's $10 per person. So we have a Baptist Press article, but also we'll include the link that takes you straight to registration. Um, I'm very excited about this. Absolutely. So I, I was really excited to see how they were doing that and uh, a just great inventive way for state conventions to come together and make this available. So I love yep. that. All right. My resource of the week is a new study Bible from Lifeway. It's called the Holy Land Illustrated Bible. Now, I know the Biblical Illustrator is one of the like most popular magazines they have at Lifeway. People love the Biblical Illustrator because it's like this great archaeology type thing, Bible times, Israel, all that. And now there's a Bible out called the Holy Land Illustrated Bible. So I it want takes, this. Well, call Trevin and tell him you want one and see if he can send you one. Uh, but it, it gives you the full grasp of the historical, cultural, and geographical context of what you read in the Bible. So I know you've talked about how your trip to Israel informed how you Life see the Bible. Life-changing, yes. So 
This includes like 275 full-length commentary articles, more than 40 digging deeper call-outs, uh, which I like that, you know, kind of an archaeology play there, and maybe also some little play for the uh, VBS next year. It's it's just a new Bible out, new illustrated Bible. So I bet the, the pictures are gorgeous on the inside. A thousand yes. photos displayed through the resource. So yeah, so you got to get you one of these. CSB I am version. so excited about this. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was the like trip of a lifetime. And it it just made all the difference in the world to see things and to know where they're situated. And so now, oh, I got to get my hands on this. You can pre-order it now. Uh it looks like they it looks like the availability will be around September 15th. Okay. So all right, I'm so it's just excited. in a couple of weeks. Andy McLean, director for Bibles and References at Lifeway, my former neighbor. We live here right down the street from me. I hope he put a pergola up in his backyard once. That was a beast, let me tell you. It was huge. Um, a bunch of four Fascinating by sixes. It was side massive. Commentary anyway, there. Okay. Yeah, Andy's a good dude, though. And so, yeah, there's your uh, there's your Bible. So, if you've been to Israel, and like Amy, it was a life changing experience, and you. You have that vision of this is what Bible times look like. And when I read it, I see this in my head. This is the perfect Bible for you. Yes. Very cool. Or if you haven't, so, get this so that you can see that. So that you exactly. can kind of put it together. And, so. and then you'll see what Amy's raving about. Yep. So, all right. So one reminder going yes. into the weekend, this yep. Sunday this weekend. is... Big Sunday. Yes. Mission Dignity Sunday. So it normally is earlier in the year, but just with everything going on with COVID-19, a lot of churches not meeting, it is it was moved to this Sunday. And so we, we ran a story at SBC Life that just sort of reminded of the work of Mission Dignity and then also gave some, uh, also gave some information about things that you can use, you know, for your church. So definitely uh, participate in that. If you can check it out and don't forget uh, Mission Dignity and those retirees and widows that we have opportunities to still serve. Absolutely. And, and also just keep John Ambra in your prayers. He's recovering from a stroke earlier in this year. I've heard good things that he's recovering well from that. But John runs the Mission Dignity program over at Guidestone had a stroke earlier in the year and has been recovering from that. So continue to pray for him as he recovers from that. He's a, a good friend of the pod and uh, we were really saddened whenever that happened. And, but we're, we're glad to see his recovery uh, taking place. So uh, do pray for him and also, you know, participate in mission dignity Sunday. If, if you want, you can give online over at the Guidestone website as well. So we'll send a link to that over at the mission dignity site and you can help support uh, widows and retired ministers in need. All right, that's going to do it for us this week, Amy. See you next week. See you next week.